Hi, this is Bert Staggs, and welcome to The Staggering Truth. Today, we're going to discuss the brutal murders of two beloved Benton County residents by their own granddaughter. This tragic and senseless act of murder all starts at about 8 a.m. Monday morning, when a co-worker of Celeste McDaniels becomes concerned when the longtime nurse doesn't report for work. According to everyone I've spoken to, Celeste McDonald had been, McDaniel, had been a nurse for years and years in the Benton County community, and she would never be late for work. Court documents tell us that that concerned employee calls the Benton County 911 services at about 8 a.m. That in turn triggers a response of the Camden Police Department. They respond to the 100 block of Vicksburg Avenue in Camden. When they get to the McDaniel home, uh, they knock on the doors. Uh, The doors are locked. They don't see any activity. Cars are in the driveway. They decide to force an entry, and at that time, they make the discovery that both Celeste McDonald McDaniel and her husband, Eugene Jean McDaniel, are both deceased. What they find, or what is important, is what or who they don't find in the home. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation says in their reports, that the 28-year-old granddaughter of Celeste McDaniel, Caitlin Taylor, is not present in the home when the Camden Police Department make entry. Caitlin Taylor is the daughter, excuse me, the granddaughter of Celeste McDaniel and the step-granddaughter of Eugene McDaniel. Caitlin Taylor is the 28-year-old granddaughter of Celeste McDaniel and the step-granddaughter of Eugene McDaniel. What we've learned since this uh, senseless tragedy is that Caitlin Taylor was troubled, um, both mentally and with uh, drugs. Uh, She had been arrested in Mississippi several times on different accounts. I've spoke with family members and friends Uh, Caitlin Taylor has a child that is uh, no longer in her custody. That child is in custody of uh, family in Mississippi. Um, Family tells me that about two years ago, it became real evident that uh, Caitlin Taylor had began to take a drastic slide in uh, both her mental state and her um, drug use. Uh, a lot of you that follow me and have followed this case have uh, looked at Facebook postings of uh, Taylor, and she was really beginning to post some very bizarre things that would su- suggest that uh, she had definitely come apart mentally. Um, back in January, she posted that she had uh, been inoculated or given vaccine against the coronavirus, and if not mistaken, that was in Russia. Um, Several several of her posts 
are clearly not coherent. They are um, the post of someone who is definitely out of touch with reality. Um, they talk about uh, out-of-body experiences and, and basically being kidnapped or um, her having amnesia, that uh, she is not the real Caitlin any longer. There are some extreme, extremely troubling posts that... Uh, were made over the past few months and um, one in particular in just in the past few days that's a little concerning I believe it said something to the fact of that uh, silence is basically violence but uh, Caitlin Taylor clearly is a troubled demented and uh, by all accounts drug addict and that's where this thing really takes a tragic, tragic toll. According to more friends and family, the McDaniels family, Celeste and Eugene, had actually rent, rented or bought Caitlin Taylor a home in the uh, Tupelo, Mississippi area, and... Uh, basically provided for her an allowance and um, took care of that home so she could uh, raise her child. But sadly, it sounds like that drugs and mental health caused her to uh, spiral further down. She lost custody of her child. At some point, she left Mississippi and moved back into Camden. Now, going back to Monday morning, Caitlin Taylor was located at a residence off Lodge Road. The TBI says that she was located at a residence with a uh, male friend by the name of John Johnson. Court documents do not tell us a lot about the murder scene, but they do give us some suggestions, and if we read between the lines, we can... Uh, find some facts. Uh, the TBI tells us that when Taylor was taken into custody, she was wearing shoes that had reddish-brown stains on them. Reddish-brown stains would tend to indicate that uh, the TBI believes that those are blood stains. Something that's important to note is when the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation does a warrant, um, what they are doing is they're providing probable cause uh, to a judge so that the judge will sign off. And in this case, they listed a few things that uh, lead up to what they believe shows a judge that uh, Caitlin Taylor is uh, most likely responsible for this for the murder of her grandparents. They go on to tell us that when um, Caitlin Taylor was taken into custody, she had a purse that uh, had her social security card in it, which leaves us to believe that that is her purse. And inside that purse is a purple uh, woman's top, medium in size, and it also contains reddish-brown stains, which one would believe to be blood, on the right sleeve. Once again, they're laying out their case that Caitlin Taylor has the blood of her grandparents 
on her clothes. In the early parts of the uh, warrant, you can see that the TBI is laying out their probable cause case. In the early parts of that warrant, they established that two people are dead, that three people lived in that residence, and one of them's not home. Now we have blood on the person who is not at the residence. At this point, Caitlin Taylor and the gentleman named John Johnson are taken into custody as persons of interest. And um, the TBI says they questioned Johnson, and Johnson told them that he picked up Taylor on Sunday morning, 322, and he told investigators that uh, Caitlin Taylor had a cut on her right pinky. Uh, that cut was bad enough that he thought and she thought that she needed medical attention. He admitted that he took her to the Huntington uh, Medical Center for treatment. And he told investigators something that is very important. He told them that Caitlin Taylor told him that her grandmother came after her with a knife and she was cut in that struggle. That becomes very important to laying out the probable cause case as we start getting into the later parts of this warrant. As the TBI was investigating this case, apparently they talked to neighbors on Vicksburg Avenue that lived close to the McDaniel residence. And uh, one neighbor told the TBI that he heard a loud boom that sounded like a gunshot on approximately at approximately 10.30 on Saturday night. This becomes very important because Johnson tells them something that puts Caitlin, Mc, Caitlin Taylor at the residence very close to that time. Caitlin Taylor's friend, John Johnson, tells the TBI that on Saturday night at about 10 o'clock, approximately 30 minutes before the loud boom that is described as a gunshot that he drops Caitlin Taylor off at the residence on Vicksburg Avenue. By Johnson placing Caitlin Taylor at the McDaniel residence on Vicksburg Avenue at approximately 10 p.m., just 30 minutes before the neighbor reportedly hears a gunshot, the TBI now can say that the last person to see Eugene and Celeste McDaniel alive is their granddaughter, Caitlin Taylor. Then we look at other evidence. Caitlin Taylor has blood on her shoes and on her clothing. She has what probably is a knife wound or a cut on her right hand. The TBI will most likely, and the prosecutors will argue, that she cut herself during probably a stabbing-related incident. Although we don't know from the uh, warrant and we don't know from anything, it stands to reason that the TBI is going to say that Caitlin Taylor shot and stabbed grandparents to death.
I want to thank you for uh, listening to this episode of The Staggering Truth. Um, This case is uh, extremely concerning to me because we have a beautiful 28-year-old young lady that, um, by all accounts, was a smart and good person up until drugs and mental illness took over. And there is nothing that excuses um, her actions from killing her grandparents. But I do want to add to this podcast that one of the problems we have in this country is we truly have a lack of um, the ability to help people that um, are on drugs and especially mental health. We have closed down most of our mental health beds we don't have any real help for these people and once again that is not to excuse or make an excuse for the actions of Caitlin Taylor or others but we're going to continue to see this and these kind of horrific things if we don't take some time and our legislators look at the importance of getting our mental health back in check to where that these people can be treated um, held against their will if, if you will to where they are forced into treatment when they show signs of actually becoming physically violent or spinning to the point that we all say that person is going to hurt somebody if we don't do this once again this is Burt Staggs and thank you for listening to The Staggering Truth The circumstances surrounding the apparent double homicide of two young Greenfield men at Realfoot Lake in Obion County Monday morning are described as out of the ordinary by 27th Judicial District Attorney General Tommy Thomas. Nothing is ordinary about this case, but I'm going to try my best to get you all the truth out there as we know it, Thomas said Thursday morning, adding ethically They do not intend to have this case tried in the press. Ultimately, Thomas wants to squash rumors and garbage circulating about the incident and those involved in the case. Wednesday afternoon, Thomas met with about 20 members of various law enforcement agencies as they provided updates, witnesses' accounts, and further physical evidence at the scene as investigators pieced together what happened on the waters that morning that led ultimately to the deaths of Zachary Grooms, age 25, and Chance Black, age 26. Both young men were from Greenfield, Tennessee. The victims were shot in a duck blind on Realfoot Lake near the Walnut Log area on Monday around 11 a.m. Thomas requested the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation special agents to take the lead in the investigation. By around 10 p.m. Monday evening, the TBI issued a statewide alert seeking the whereabouts of a person of interest, David Val, age 70, of Martin. By 4 p.m. Tuesday, the TBI issued arrest warrants for first-degree murder charges against Val in the shooting incident. Preliminary, preliminary information from the District Attorney General's office gave an account of the events that potentially transpired the morning of the shooting at the scene. Grooms Black and their friend Jeff Crabtree, who is age 58, 
were in the duck blind Monday morning when they were approached by Val asking if he could hunt with them. While in the blind, the three men, Val reportedly shot grooms in the chest. While Black was attempting to help his friend, Val stuck the gun in Black's side and shot him. Crabtree, who is now the main witness in the investigation, intervened, got his friends into the boat, struck Val in the head with a gun. Eventually, Crabtree pushed Val into the waist-deep water. As Crabtree was leaving the blind area in the boat with the two gunshot victims, he told investigators he looked back and saw Val up and headed to the bank. An investigation of the scene resulted in the discovery of a spent shotgun shell jammed in the duck blind. Footprints on the bank were also consistent with Crabtree's account. Thomas said while no motive has yet to be determined, it appears Val is suffering from dementia. The DA said it is his his understanding that Val duck hunts daily during the season. As for speculation that Crabtree is a suspect, Thomas said there is no scenario implicating him in the incident, the shooting incident. The DA said Crabtree was friends with the victims, his actions trying to get them help, and little time he had to get them out of the water led him to convince that Val is the suspect and only suspect. Thomas added physical evidence and further facts in the case will show Val shot and killed the two victims. Law enforcement agencies are, com- are combing the wilderness around Realfoot Lake for Val. High waters and heavy rainfall have hindered the search efforts. Thomas said investigators have found nothing linking Val to recovering, receiving any help in the area. Val's vehicle was towed from the scene Monday, and his boat, boat was located about 200 yards from the blind on Tuesday. Thomas said he plans to issue a press release into the incident in the coming days to quell any more conspiracies, rumors, or further speculation. We have one survivor who is a hero being accused of triple murder. I want to get the truth out there, Thomas said. Autopsies of the bodies concluded Wednesday in Nashville. Funeral arrangements are incomplete at this time. The victims were both graduates of Greenfield High School. Black is the son of Weekly County Department Chief Deputy Mark Black and was a gun department manager at Final Flight Outfitters between Martin and Union City. The business posted the following on its Facebook page on Monday. We lost a member of our team today, Chance Black. He was shot and killed along with his friend while duck hunting on the Brillfoot Lake. Chance was a full-time manager in our gun, gun department. And what an honor it has been for us to have him on our team. We ask for prayers for Chance's family, friends, others involved as we navigate the impact of their deaths. Death is certain, and so is our hope in Jesus, who gives peace that passes all understanding in these times in loss and hurt. A memorial account has been set up at Greenfield Banking Company for the, fa- for the two families. The shooter, the suspected shooter, Val, was a retired Martin business owner. Numerous law enforcement agencies are assisting in searching for Val, including the U.S. Marshals Service. Anyone with any information about the whereabouts or anyone who knew was near that area are asked to call local law enforcement or the TBI at 1-800-TBI-FIND. This is unusual for me. This is an article written by the Dresden, Tennessee Enterprise, and it is absolutely fabulously written. So I wanted to read this into my podcast. It is written by an amazing writer, 
by the name of Sabrina Bates. And I want you, all my listeners, to understand that local media is still the backbone of this country. So please, when given the opportunity, support your local media and the advertisers. Thanks for listening to The Staggering Truth.